Welcome to the Finding Refuge podcast. My name is Michelle Cassandra Johnson, and I am glad you're here. The Finding Refuge podcast emerged from a desire to have conversations about the intersection of grief and liberation. This podcast explores how we can find refuge during unsettling and uncertain times. It features guests from various backgrounds, lineages, and lived experiences. I hope you enjoy listening. Today's episode is with Caverly Morgan. Caverly Morgan is a meditation teacher, nonprofit founder, speaker, and author. She is the founder of Peace in Schools, a nonprofit that created the nation's first for credit mindfulness class in public high schools. Caverly is also the founder of Presence Collective, a community of cross cultural contemplatives committed to personal and collective transformation. She is the author of a kid's book about mindfulness, as well as The Heart of Who We Are, Realizing Freedom Together. Caverly blends the original spirit of Zen with a modern, non-dual approach. Her practice began in 1995 and has included eight years of training in a silent Zen monastery. She has been teaching contemplative practice since 2001 and leads meditation retreats, workshops, and online classes internationally. Enjoy this episode with Caverly. Caverly, it is so good to see you and so good to be in space with you. And I'm excited for our conversation and want to thank you for making time and space to be in conversation with me on the podcast. And we met, I remember in person in Portland, although I would I had left Portland. I was living in North Carolina, I think. And then I went back to Portland and you had reached out about skill in action. And I was there teaching um, at Unfold. Um, and we shared a meal together um, and talked about all the things, our mothers and what was unfolding on the planet at the time, much of what continues to unfold now and healing. And I, I remember that time of connection and really appreciated that you reached out to me. And so that's how we, we like met in person in that way. And then since that time, we have spent time together in person and virtually and on the telephone and continue to talk about our mothers and healing and the world. And so it's an honor to have you be here today. You know, I feel so blessed to be here, Michelle, and in this moment, it's sweet because I just can't separate it from how blessed I just feel to know you. Like I, there are those connections you have in life where you feel like your spirit is nurtured. Like not only are you meeting someone else or do you get to know someone else essence to essence, it's like a it's a nurturance. It's a, like you, for me, our connection has felt like water when I'm really thirsty. 
even if we're not talking a lot, it just, that's the nature of our connection for me. And so I just, I'm just so happy to, to have a little time with you. Me too. I appreciate that description of what our relationship has felt like to you and, and feels like now. And um, I love the relationships where I feel like we just sort of pick up where we left off if that makes sense, or we don't talk for three months. And then all of a sudden it's like, Hey, what are you doing? And we sit on zoom for an hour and a half, like that where time has passed, but the, the core of the relationship sort of remains stable and, and is sustained through time and space. So that's what I'm present to. And, and I would love for you to share some about with the listeners, some about who you are, what you're up to, what you want folks to know or understand at this time. You know, what's arising for me in this moment is I'm someone who's learning more and more about how to let myself love freely. I just can see so many different ways that practice and time are supporting the the softening of my journey. As you know, I was a monastic for eight years in the Zen tradition. So I know discipline, I know structure, I know form, I know um, dedication and the kind of yang arm of my path. And I, I, yeah, what's alive to report in on in this moment is I feel a lot of gratitude for the birthing of this book and the softening that got invited in organically as I went through this process. The, the working on this book for me was uh, really spirit led. And I actually, I'm realizing now, I don't even think you asked me necessarily about the book, but more just about like who I am. But as you know, the book's pretty alive for me (laughs) right now. And I feel like who I am is like, shit, this thing launches soon. And I've never launched a book before. And what's going on with that? So yeah, what's here now is, is all that. Of course, you are very present to your book, which um, for those listening, the title is The Heart of Who We Are, Realizing Freedom Together. And this will likely air after the launch, but it launches, for those of you listening, the book launches very soon at the end of this month. And writing a book is a process. (laughs) And a lot, I think, is revealed or can be throughout the process of being creative and writing a book and then putting it out in the world, not holding it for yourself. And so of course, you're talking about it. And I would love for you to maybe share some about your process of writing or coming to this place of um, contemplating like who we truly are and what liberation and freedom, how we might actually realize liberation and freedom. Yeah, thank you. Well, as you know, I've been dedicated to what many might think of as personal spiritual practice for a long time. And it wasn't until partway through my journey that I began to recognize that no one around me was talking about the collective. You know, there was this very intense focus on 
how you cause yourself to suffer. So you can see what that suffering is. So you can drop it, let it go, end that suffering. But it was, I I fairly early on felt like it was really fishy that there was so much focus on me. And I began to first recognize what was being left out regarding the collective, like a wider view. And then I also at the same time was questioning what's being held in place as I focus on my suffering in this way. Like in a sense, I got more clear about a question that became a a burning question, like something that drives deep inquiry. And that was, you know, what is it that suffers in the first place? And I am present in this moment to how that feels like another connection point that we have. Like my projection is that, or I'll just speak from my own experience. One For me, one of the gifts of your work has been recognizing that it honors, acknowledges personal, honors, acknowledges collective, recognizes how intertwined those two things are, and then holds that conversation in an even larger picture of, and who are we? Are we the the little ego that suffers? Are we, what is spirit in relationship to our suffering? Yeah, I'm just kind of riffing here. Does that feel true for you or resonant? Yes, it does around the personal is never separate from the collective and what you named in your own experience about the focus on, on you or the individual as if we're not having a collective experience of suffering or just the way at times the teachings are taught. It's of course we need to start with self and go from there. And we're always in relationship with everything around us. So and it's interesting you asked because I'm working on a book project about the kleshas, which for those listening, the kleshas are in the yoga sutras and they are focused on why we suffer and the obstacles that are in place and the patterns around um, suffering and our karma. And there's a lot more. So you can look up the kleshas if you would like to learn more about them. But I've been reading a lot of translations of the yoga sutras to work on this project and balancing this, like the individual and the collective in this way that is um, just challenging to do. It's a, it's like a new challenge to write about that specific part of yoga philosophy and knowing we're in the, the middle of an experience of collective suffering, but also figuring out how to balance both talking about personal collective. So yes, that is absolutely how I think about my work. And I also think it is a point of connection to your point around how we, even with different lived experiences, approach the practice and the teachings and the the path of learning and the pathway toward liberation. Yeah. Feels resonant. And I've always appreciated. It's like, I'm thinking of, um, what do they call that in cocktails when it's like spirit forward? Is that the right way to say it? Oh yeah, probably. (laughs) So (laughs) you're like, you're like a cocktail that has like spirit forward. <laughs> spirit forward, heart centered. Yep. I'm here for that. No one's because ever described that, me that way. 
you know, there's like something else that feels really important to name around that. So like, okay, we're focusing on personal suffering, collective suffering, the intersection, how we actually can't, it's not even intersection. Those two things cannot be teased apart from each other. And then what's it like to hold those conversations, that unpacking in a context of spirit forward rather than spirit somewhere like invisible in the backdrop while we're bringing deep inquiry to personal collective, again, not separate suffering. Mm -hmm. Because for me, and that's been a real part of this burning inquiry that I'm, that I'm pointing to is like that conversation without spirit forward, without that embodied lived sense commitment to spirit forward is a different conversation and one that um, has not helped me end any suffering for myself. And therefore, I think I have little to contribute to the collective um, with this body-mind position I'm coming in with. Mm -hmm. Like I've I've come up empty-handed. You're the way you're talking about spirit forward and the, and the practice we're talking about I'm curious to know how you came to understand yourself as a spiritual being. Mm-hmm. Like what was that journey for you or process? It's it's a really neat question. I don't even know if I've ever been asked that before. And what I'm present to is that I've always known it but I didn't have language for it for a really long time. Like I can think back to experiences where anything other than the recognition of our shared being felt like insanity. I so often, as you know, reflect on that phrase that I first heard from you, like all the ways we normalize the absurd. And I can think of so many times, even as a really young person that I was like, yo, this is crazy. What is happening around us is absurd. And how are we living? Like it's normal. What the hell is going on? And you can only have that kind of relationship with things if you're actually grounded in something deeper, something more wholesome, something true, something real, you know, in the face of in the face of the absurd. Otherwise, it doesn't seem abnormal. Right. It's not something the name is weird. So but but no one gave me a framework for what that is. What what is that deep knowing? And in fact, I would say that most, like many of us, especially through like teenage years, it is just like more and more veiling, like conditioned veiling of that knowing was happening. So more and more confusion about who I really am, more and more distortion around like who I'm supposed to be, what I, what I should be doing. Uh, more and more personal and collective conditioning just being absorbed, which again, you know, more and more veils that deep knowing. But I can't remember a time that that deep knowing of who I truly am, like the deep knowing of not only my own being, but that my being isn't an isolated being. I can't remember a time I, I didn't have that experience yet lots of times that I didn't know how to name it. And then lots of times I was starting to, it was being veiled, but I didn't even know how to say, oh my God, this precious thing is being veiled. It just, I was just surviving. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you feel like, and many things I'm sure did this and continue to, it's a process and unfolding and evolution. 
what you shared about the veiling struck me just the sort of image of that and the layers of conditioning and what you named about not knowing what to say in those moments about what what was being covered up or veiled and the precious part of you that was that was being asked to like layer on this and layer on this and I'm curious to know because it sounds like you've always you've always known and I would say we have always known we as a collective, we know who we we are and there are things in the way of remembering and um, we're not really incentivized for remembering who we are in the way we're talking about as spiritual beings and spirit forward. And so what you have the knowing, but what made you come back to it in a way that you could express it is really what I mean. Yeah. You know, I'm told that the Buddha had a theory that people came to suffering either because they were suffering so much that they just couldn't actually handle it anymore. Or there was this intelligence that said there, there must be something more like this, this question, this recognition of this must not be it. And I will say I came more with the kind of the question end of like, really, I'm supposed to just like get married and then pop out kids and have a white picket fence. And then what die? Like what's this is this, this, there's gotta be something else here. That's not to say I wasn't suffering, but I want to acknowledge like my suffering felt like very, you know, it's like privileged suffering. Like, okay, I'm struggling with, you know, the whiteness of perfectionism. I'm struggling with low-grade anxiety. I'm struggling, you know, but it wasn't, I wasn't someone who struggled deeply with the kind of depression that doesn't allow you to get out of bed every day. And, but that, that question of there must be something more is what led me to a meditation practice, which is what led me to my first Zen retreat, which is what led me to find the woman I trained with. And I underline woman I trained with because I did look around, like I went on a retreat with her. It was incredibly profound for me. And, and I was living in North Carolina at the time. And so, or actually I was in Virginia then, but then when I was in North Carolina and I'd done enough retreats to be like, okay, I want to pursue Zen practice. I started looking around at different Zen communities and I met white man after white man. And I couldn't find what had resonated with this other woman in those contexts. So that led to me heading out to the monastery where this woman led a whole monastic training program. And for me, it became clear pretty early on that that process of remembering was more important to me than anything else. It was more important than a good job. It was more important than money. It was more important than the right partner. It was more important than where I lived. I didn't even, I didn't even want to live in like hot, dry California, but it didn't matter. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it, it was, it was more important than everything. And what do you feel like, I mean, it sounds like you've been on a journey and in this practice of remembering for a long time and committed to it. And I'm curious specifically in the work and training you did with the woman, you, you were just talking about what, she or that space she created reflected back to you about who you are? Well, ironically enough, what that space did more than anything else was reveal my own egoic patterning because I had 
nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. And, you know, a lot of times people are like, oh, you trained for eight years in a silent monastery. It must have been so quiet, but it was the loudest freaking place I'd ever been because <laughs> it was like there was just no we couldn't even read. So there was just no escaping what was happening in the body mind. And so it wasn't the context that let in a way it was like it was not the context that named live spirit forward. For me, it was the context of a really hard mirror. It was the very yang part of my practice that was like, here's the ego. Here's what it looks like. Here's what it feels like. You know, let's turn the volume up on it even such that it becomes so intense that you just, you, you in a sense can't do it anymore or something breaks or snaps, but it wasn't, it wasn't, I mean, thank God that we spent as much time in silent meditation as we did because there was this embodied visceral sense of what was always there underneath the drama of my own suffering. And I certainly got a lot of information about how suffering works. What what, what are the processes that lead to deep experiences of feeling separate from self, other, and life? But it's really only in the meditations that I rested into meditations and then other sort of still moments that I rested into what was never changing. So all that suffering, you know, it's always changing. It's like a roller coaster. It's, it's dramatic. I'm at the center of the stage all the time, but I, in the context of monastic training, I, I had a visceral sense of what doesn't change. What's always there at the backdrop of experience in the purpose for the purposes of this conversation, you know, spirit or pure consciousness. But it it wasn't until I left the monastery that I began to have language for that. It's like all my focus had been on the suffering and how suffering is caused. And that's what I meant at the beginning by even as a monastic starting to question like why why am I focusing so much on something that is clearly maintaining a sense of I. It it took time. And I mean, I with the small I, right? Like not Mm -hmm. the Nisargadatta I am, but that small, small I. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, what you just described, I could see how your experience at the monastery and, and sort of training in the tradition based on what just a little you named about the conditions in place or the structure, like there wasn't anywhere to go and how I think this is true for many people. So often when there's nowhere to go, we have to actually look at what's there and work with that. Um, And what you described about upon departing, right. And, and throughout time and space, coming into the realization of who you are, but only in sort of in response to what was revealed um, during your time at the monastery and and training in the tradition. I think that like mirrors many people's like at time spiritual crises or, or just those moments when there's no escape. You just have to be with it, which is uncomfortable. And for eight years, I can imagine that wasn't that comfortable all the time. (laughs) I mean, so many people talk about, gosh, it must have been the most peaceful time, but it's true. It was a time of tremendous 
discomfort. I mean, yes, like I said, in the discomfort, because there's nowhere else to go, it's like you're required to see what's not changing because the, again, the suffering is like up and down and all over. And it's like that roller coaster, but the constant is being, you know, the constant is, is spirit or pure consciousness. So there is something powerful about that approach to practice where you're intentionally turning the volume up. Like my teacher, for example, if you came into the monastery and my teacher learned that like you have no experience cooking, you were going to be head cook within a few weeks. Like it was very, very intentional that you were put, I was head builder, like before I'd ever really even built much, you know, it was just moving into that discomfort rather than away was a huge part of the model. And I think there's so much place for that, especially as we're confronting and being with and learning to um, shift things within our collective conditioning. I mean, of course, you and I have talked before about the value of knowing how to be with this discomfort as we do and as we have any kinds of conversations about race or growth or transformation on a collective level. And thank God that approach can also be balanced with what I'm referring to today as, as a spirit forward approach that's not all just about increasing discomfort. Right. In listening to you describe the model, I was like, there's value in leaning into what we think we don't know or things we don't know and actually learning how to do them and figuring it out (laughs) and, and not allowing the discomfort to shut us down. Like that's part of what is required if we're going to stay Mm -hmm. in so many different ways we need to stay and what you are naming about balance, because often I will be like, there is enough suffering. And so in some traditions, it's like, we need to get into that more and feel it and all that. And I kind of think, sure. And people are feeling it and they're expressing it in these ways. They're not saying they're suffering, but it's coming out of every, you know, poor. Right? <laughs> and that they're also, there needs to be a balance of, of, I'm using the word ease. I'm not exactly sure that's right, but I am using that word. I find that people need to be resourced enough to actually lean in in the way we're talking about and come out on the other side of it, spirit forward. Yeah. I mean, Michelle, I'm reflecting on a very specific moment where I actually can't remember what collective trauma was surfacing, but it was It was something that everyone in our feeds is, you know, commenting on and riled up about one of the many things that have happened in the last handful of years. And I remember very clearly like tracking, following along, paying attention to my own discomfort, knowing that I didn't want, you know, that whole thing of like, don't turn away. Okay. I'm not turning away. I'm with this. I'm with this. And then up comes a small video of your bees. It's just one of those, and 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 the reason I valued it so much is because I know you well enough to know that that is not coming from la 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 la. <laughs> let's all look at these, you know. Mm-hmm. It's not. There is there's other 
divine wisdom remembrance. You are fully saying, yes, be with, yes, move towards, yes, embrace discomfort in the name of moving through. And you are saying, let us, let us remember the these. Mm-hmm. To hold those together is in this conditioned madness where we're normalizing the absurd, letting spirit be forward. Yeah. I think I remember that. I mean, I post about them a lot, but I remember thinking, you know, people who know me know I'm not bypassing the moment. I'm just asking us to notice like what's present in addition to that and our interconnectedness. That is, that is, and I'm not posting more trauma right now. Like in this moment, that's not what I'm doing. So there is deep intention around that. Where do we want to put our attention? And we're, we're feeling the suffering we're present to, are we reacting Mm-hmm. you know, from, from these spaces of suffering and woundedness and mm-hmm. the the reactivity actually can become, people can become attached to that in this way that I, that creates frenzy and harm and danger and disembodiment and all sorts of things. Yeah. And I know for myself, I can get really fixated on staying identified with the warrior in a not helpful way. Like mm-hmm. a, a way that leaves me feeling hardened and actually not very capable to help create change and angry and bitter. And all those feelings are valid, especially when you look around at things that are going on in the world. And to be able to notice that there's suffering happening to self and other and rippling out into the world because of that focus of the attention is incredibly important in practice. I think, I mean, it's, it's been a really important part of my journey to find the alternative, which is a practice. It's, it's not just like you find it and then it's like always there. It's like, Oh, may I remember that alternative right now as I just learned that, you know, Donald Trump is running again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so yes to all this. Um, I've had these moments over the last, I mean, probably for a long time, but they've been more pronounced over the last month of like, what's going on? So like, I was, I remember seeing this long line of Amazon trucks, they were sitting on a bridge and something else was happening in the environment that day. And people were like speeding to where they were going. And I was like, where are we really? <laughs> I had this moment of like, what is going on? on. This is surreal in this way because of what I'm understanding about spirit and how it moves through us. And, and yet I'm in a human body on the planet at this time where there are 15 Amazon trucks and people are trying to run over each other and people aren't listening and we're destroying the planet. And I just, I think it's more pronounced the, like the awareness of, of spirit coupled with like, and here we are mm-hmm. and what is this? Mm-hmm. Um, I've been feeling, and so it makes me feel like I'm in some surreal space half the time because I'm like, I don't, I get this is going on. Like the bees do have a higher wisdom and there's divine intelligence as do the trees. And this is going on too. And, and, and like being in a body, trying to be with both of these things is a, it's the, it's a challenge um, for sure. So what you said makes a lot of sense to me. And I would love I do want you to talk about, I know you were like, this isn't about the book, but all of this is about the book. Actually, everything we're talking about is, is connected to the heart of who we are. And I would love for you to tell us about it just so people have a clear idea of 
what it's about. We've been talking about the themes, but if there's more you'd want to share about it. Yeah, thank you. Well, as you know, and I just never want to miss an opportunity to thank you for all the ways you journeyed with me through the dark nights of the soul of writing this book. You know, it started out and I saw the whole book in the framework of collective liberation. And um, thank God I have loved ones in my life that were like, yeah, dear white friend, you probably don't want to call the book that and hear all the reasons why. And I, it took me a long time to find a way to write about what I think of as collective liberation that was truly in integrity with myself, the position that I'm in, the body mind that I have as a white cisgendered woman with close proximity um, to to societal power. I, I, I felt like it was an incredible journey to figure out how to do this with, with integrity. And it doesn't mean I got it right (laughs) through the book. I'm totally prepared for all the places that I might get um, helpful feedback um, as this book comes out into the world. But what, what was important for me about the process is what I led with it. I had to soften around things that I had actually didn't even know I had sort of hardened around in order to find that honesty, that integrity, that like now I'm actually just speaking from my own experience. And in a way that that protects me because I'm, 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 I've taken the warrior hat off a little bit. One, one friend of mine said that after reading draft one, they felt that what they were reading was the crisis of a social justice warrior meets deeply spiritual person. And they were just reading a crisis for a whole draft. And in a way, this book is about reconciling those places of passion for me. And, and Part of the reason I saw value in it is because I do, te- I don't think I'm just pro- projecting. I'm, I, I find myself, especially out in Portland, Oregon, surrounded by that kind of inner crisis in others as well. Like, how do I reconcile my care for what's happening on this relative plane of existence, these acts of injustice that are occurring and rising every day with my deep knowing of our shared being or inherent oneness, you know, however you want to talk about it, God, I'm comfortable with that. How do I reconcile those things? Because for most of us, it, if you're listening to this, to, if you, if you follow Michelle's work, then, then, you know, the harm that's caused from, you know, we're just all one. So it's, this is the, you know, the all white yoga studio where it's being touted left and right, but that is not the reality that's manifesting on the relative plane. And that is not how everyone is feeling. So this reconciliation of a deep knowing with what's happening on the relative plane and how to have my actions in the world be on behalf of the deep knowing while not ignoring anything. In fact, beyond not ignoring, fully moving into, but not in that kind of, it's all only discomfort. And my agitation is actually increasing in that. And my hardness is increasing in that. But yeah, how, how am I, how am I moving in 
and acting on behalf of that deep knowing, which actually is further resource for even more moving in and more moving in and more moving in. Does that make sense? Does that Mm -hmm. land as, yeah, a Mm -hmm. little windy there, but I, I think, I think the, at the core of, of what I'm pointing to is I wanted to write about how to act on behalf of who we truly are instead of on behalf of the ego. And to do that in all of these, so basically acting on behalf of this experience of the absolute or what's unchanging or spirit in this relative world where everything's changing and things are coming and going and the harm happens and there's racism, sexism, you know, all the things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That part that is just described. You just described my dilemma with writing about the glaciers <laughs> in the world, the, what we know is true and what is actually happening or what we think we know is true and what is happening or what is unchangeable rather and what is playing out and how to speak to that and come into union and the oneness that we both talk about in our work, but from an informed place of the ways in which we are not living as one, Yeah, um, which you, you spoke about. Yeah. What is your, this, this might be my final question. What is your, well, for those listening, I, well, the book will be out by the time this comes out, but prior to the publication date, I had the honor of reading it and writing the foreword. And I felt like in process of of writing the foreword, and this is kind of how I feel when I'm involved in anyone's dream is that I feel like I'm holding that with them. Like what, what it is they want to happen, even though you didn't state, you haven't stated that to me or, but then it's like, I'm part of it. And so how do I help hold this with the person? If that makes sense. So I am curious to know what your hope is for this. We know books are, are yes, physical copies of things we feel passionate about and believe and ideas we want to share and things that we know and truths that have come to us or we've come to. And they're like bodies of work too. They are that spirit forward, especially this, the heart of who we are. So I'm curious to know what your dream is for this, for the heart of who we are. That's what I'll say. Well, the first thing that arises is to acknowledge the way in which contrary to all my conditioning to grip, control, try to impact, this process has sparked so much letting go. And I truly believe that this book isn't like fully in the hands of spirit now. Like when I was writing it, it felt, you and I've talked a little bit about channeling that process of knowing you're, when you're just, you're channeling something. And when I was writing the book, I felt like an engaged participant. Like I'm part of this dance. I'm part of this conversation. I'm channeling something. And I'm, I, for whatever reason, I just feel clear that that part of my work is done. So I feel now that it's, it's just clear to me that there's some layer of my work that's done and it's just been handed to spirit. And it doesn't mean that I don't hope that the book does make whatever impact it can on the evolution of human consciousness. But I I feel really humbled by the recognition that that is not mine to even dream. These are the dreams that are beyond this body mind now. And it's just mine to keep showing up and saying, how can I serve? How can I serve? How can I serve? 
And, and the beauty of that is it just feels like it's full of a lot of surprise then. Like there's, there's a tremendous sense of, of surprise. There, there was someone recently that said like, oh, you need to hire this PR firm. It's going to cost $10,000. And I know the right answer in terms of society is probably like, yes, I should do that. And I couldn't. I just felt like, no, this is up to spirit now. It doesn't mean I'm not doing my part. I'm not, you know, playing, playing. Um, like the marketing game in ways that I'm, I feel totally able to show up for, but I, yeah, I feel called to speak to something deeper than that, that, um, that has to do with the very reason I, I wrote the book, which is in my own experience, I needed to reconcile something and I needed to have permission to have a project that required me to live spirit forward for this conversation. And I hope that in some way this book invites other people to get to do the same, you know, to to get to to lead with the the heart of who we are rather than lead with all the things that we are conditioned to lead with. I'll just leave it general at that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear you around not wanting to like play the the game of marketing, right. And sort of chasing that and holding a bigger vision for this. And also the awareness that you're not holding this on your own, like mm-hmm. um, it's bigger than you. And I love, I think I've told you this, that when I put out scale in action, um, the first edition, I went to somebody in Portland, I was living in Portland. So I went to this healer in Portland and, sh- and she's like, you're going to put it out in the world and let it do what it's going to do. And I was like, oh yeah, you just let it do what it's going to do. And I'll never forget it because I wasn't feeling like clingy to it, but it was this like, it's going to be a thing that is beyond you once it is out in the world and people are interacting with it, it becomes this other thing. And I feel like that's so true about books or art or anything we create that we share. It's like, once mm-hmm. it's out, we, mm-hmm. like manifested the thing, it's out. And if if it's a tool or an offering to the collective, that then it changes form and shape as people interpret it and try to understand what it means for them and their lives and practice with it. And mm-hmm. um, which is kind of for some people that's really scary. And for me, I love that that it becomes this thing that I don't know where it will end up or what it people mm-hmm. are saying about it or. Yeah. So I love this dreaming. Yeah. I love the dreaming. I love the not knowing. I love the mystery. Uh, And I love that one thing that these projects that you and I have done do is they do offer a frame for something. Like the thing I'm actually most excited about right now is offering this um, collective experience with Rashid Hughes. I know Mm -hmm. that you know our dear friend Rashid as well. And, um, I'm really looking forward to an experience of, at this point, we're thinking it'll be a four month experience at the beginning of 2023. We started, we, we thought we'd make it a year long experience around, around the arc of the book. Um, and then we just yesterday, we're like, that's really long. <laughs> so we're, mm-hmm. we're reframing, we're looking at a potentially a four month experience, but, but you can hear that what we're really going for is depth. We're really looking for creating space where folks can go deeply into these topics and it's just not yet another like quick summit or yeah. Mm -hmm. That for me, that's part of how this book, I think will 
stay alive for me is it it's like continuing to pull me into the next question. And so, yeah, the next question for me is like, okay, how will this land for people? And if we really move through these practices in this book together and with these two facilitators coming in through such different doorways, yet such a shared passion for love and truth, what will happen with that? And I actually feel the same way about the offerings we have on the book in 2023 as well. For me, there's so much mystery around them, but but with all the mystery is this deep knowing of what we connect around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited about them and excited about your offering with Rashid in 2023 and all that will come from you and the heart of who we are um, and spirit and want to just offer gratitude to you for being here today with me in this way and for being who you are and practicing in the way you practice and for birthing the heart of who we are. So thank you so much for being here and being in my life and being a comrade and friend. Michelle, thank you so much for being in my life and being a comrade and friend. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Finding Refuge. If you are enjoying the podcast, I encourage you to share it with friends and family members and to rate it on iTunes. In addition to sharing about this podcast, you can support my work in the world by becoming a patron on Patreon. You can find me there as Michelle C. Johnson, Skill in Action, Yoga and Social Justice. I offer monthly movement and meditation practices, as well as a monthly divination reading. Lastly, I want to share that I have a new book coming out in April of 2023. We Heal Together, Rituals and Practices for Building Community and Connection. It is currently available for pre-order And you can go to the Penguin Random House website, search Michelle Johnson or We Heal Together, and pre-order my book. There are several spaces you can pre-order it from. Thank you so much, and take care.